When you look up the word worthy in the 1828 Webster app, it says deserving of. Deserving of. Jesus is worthy of any praise that we would give him. It reminded me, because we are the opposite of that. We are undeserving. We are not worthy. We are not fit for heaven except for Christ. He's the only one. I love that phrase. It's not original with me, but there's nothing inside of us that commends us to God. Nothing. He has to give us anything that he would deem worthy. It has to come from him. There's a supposedly a true story. In this nation, back in the day, the woman was expected to bring a diary to the marriage and the such. Well, there was a, a tribe that it was reverse. The man was expected to bring something to the father to show what he believed that his daughter was worth to him. And obviously, the more that the man brought, the more impressive that it was to the community and to the village. Problem is, most everybody in the village was poor. And there was this especially homely-looking lady that this young man fell in love with, and he wasn't wealthy, but he had more cows than most, and he gave eight cows as a diary to his future father-in-law for this woman. It was within a few short months, everyone in the community was talking about how beautiful this lady was, and the reason was is because someone showed worth to her. Church, when you and I discover the worthy lamb putting worthiness into us, our light should shine. We, we should become a new person, and certainly by God's grace, we do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we again, we thank you for all of your blessings. We ask you, Lord, to do your will and way. Thank you, Father, for your worthiness and sharing that with us. Thank you for fitting us for heaven. We ask you now to bless the preaching and the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to start in Matthew 22. Now between this morning's, uh, if you will, scenarios that we were talking about and then the scenarios that we're going to look at tonight, Jesus has been giving his arguments as to why the scribes and Pharisees, even though they were respected as the religious leaders of their day, they had major issues with how they treated God and what God intended for them to be and do. Well, as you can imagine, this caused great consternation between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus. They hated his guts. Now, you might think that he returned that in kind. The reality is, is that he had uh, just feelings towards them, but he loved them. He came and died for them as well, and he wanted them to come to a saving relationship with him, but they were a constant thorn in his flesh. And so tonight, we're going to look at three, uh, if we have time, four arguments of the intellectual Savior. I don't know about you, but I do not reserve or use that term for me. There are some people, even within this congregation, I don't have any problem saying, yep, they're an intellectual. 
I'm not going to tell you who because you might be upset if I leave you out. But I guarantee you, I do not put myself in that ilk. I've had a few say, oh, yeah, Brother Ben, eh, eh. Okay, because I've been around some intellectuals. I, I talk to some intellectuals, and it's a different plane. Ravi Zacharias, intellectual. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, an intellectual. And we could go right, Frank Turek, an intellectual. These are great men, and they're men to expose, if you will, yourself to. So if you want to be great, you've got to expose yourself to greatness. But I, I'm just curious and, and let's be serious. Is there anybody that you can remember a situation where you saw, you know, an argument of some sort and somebody just, maybe it was a zinger, but it wasn't meant to be necessarily, and they just settled the argument with a, a few sentences or phrases? Anybody? You, you saw it at work. We're fixing to look at Jesus' example. I'm just giving you an opportunity. It'll be a shorter sermon if nobody says anything. Okay, let's hear it. Along those lines, S.M. Lockridge asked the question, many of you were not alive when this was going on, but in the 60s, time declared that God was dead. And so uh, in the early, mid-70s, Brother S.M. Lockridge came to fame preaching in California, and he, he said this, if God was dead, how come I wasn't notified? I'm the next of kin. Who identified the body? What was the cause of death? <laughs> I mean, he just went right down the line. That's an intellectual. And, and so praise God that we have those people to help us not so intellectual folks. I am convinced that if you, again, expose yourself to greatness, you can come off as an intellectual whether you are or not. And praise the Lord for that. One thing I need to address because I've been, I've been uh, it's been brought to my attention that I, for two weeks I've asked you if you went to the movie Jesus Revolution and I've told you I was going to tell you something as soon as you've seen it and such. This morning I didn't say a thing about it. I am sorry. I am sorry. I am going to address that next week. But since you're here on Sunday night, I'm going to give you a little bit of a uh, whatever uh, because the, the most powerful moment, the, the, the time where I shook the aisle that I was sitting on in that movie, uh, in this, this for me... This is someone that may or may not be considered an intellectual, but as a result of spending time with the greatest intellectual of all time, he came up with an amazing end around to get around what was a major problem. So uh, if, if you haven't seen it, I'm fixing to spoil some of it, but I gave you three weeks, okay? And so uh, the church was dying that Chuck Smith was pastoring. This is a true story. And he comes across Lonnie Smith, I believe, Frisbee, Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee is a charismatic preacher and teacher. And he's a hippie. And he's winning people to Jesus. Truly, truly is. And so Chuck invites Lonnie and all of these people that Lonnie is winning to the church. 
Well, guess what? They're hippies. In the late 60s, early 70s, hippies didn't wear shoes. Yeah, sounds kind of like Arkansas. But nonetheless, they didn't wear shoes. And so several weeks into this, the folks that were there that were concerned about the carpet, because <laughs> it's new carpet, and they're not wearing shoes, and their feet are nasty. And they're using that as an argument for Chuck to say, sorry, it's, it's been nice. But instead of that, you know what he did? If you watch the movie, you know what he did. He's there on Sunday morning with his basin of water, and he's washing their feet. I'm telling you that just, mm, it just brought me to nothingness. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what also, church, I, I think this is important for me to say, I'm just so thankful I have never dealt with anything like that with you guys. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Now you watch, the devil will bring up something next week, but that's okay. We'll work through it. But I'm just so grateful and thankful that, that we've not had to mess with stuff like that. But watch this, if and when it comes, Jesus will give you something. He'll give you something to get around it for his glory. And those, those people who had recently met Jesus, they were thrilled to get their feet washed. And, and uh, <laughs> Now, I, we'll have to find out in heaven whether Chuck was right doing this, but the fellow that walked past him in the camel jacket, you know, and he washed the feet of the young lady, he said, yeah, just go sit right there next to him. <laughs> I love that too. So uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. We need a Jesus revolution to sweep this nation. And so I, I'm just, and, and no, I, I didn't agree with everything that was in the movie, but I agreed with most of it. And, and I appreciated that they showed some of the raw issues that they had with Lonnie and Chuck. And, and honestly, if it were Ben Kingston and Lonnie, we would have had some issues, you know, and the such. On how we interpret scripture and the such. So all that said, would you please stand Matthew 22, 15 through 44. I'm just calling this rounds, okay? So round one, uh, we have a question about loyalty to government. What were they trying to trick him on? And what was the brilliance of his answer? So the scripture simply says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Now, now remember, They've just sat through three corrections of Jesus, three teachings and parables where Jesus is taking the Pharisees and scribes to task. So right after that, it says that they took counsel on how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man. And that doesn't sound like how you and I would think of it in 2023. They're saying, we know that you do not uh, necessarily uh, take to account who might be taking you to task. In other words, you stand your ground for the word of God. That, that's a compliment. And teach us, uh, for thou regardest not the person of men. And that's a compliment. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful? to give tribute, and they were referring specifically to a tax called the poll tax. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. 
And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled, that means they knew that they failed, and left him and went their way. Father, we ask you to add again your blessings to the reading and preaching of your holy word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one of the main emphasis and purposes of this series is not to teach you how to argue and things of that, even though if you get some, you know, clues, praise the Lord, it's to show you what kind of Savior you have. He's intellectual. This is one of the reasons he's worthy. He knows what's up. I personally believe that Jesus is in full, all God, all man mode. He knows what they're thinking. He knows that they went over there and counseled. He knows that they sent the disciples that were not in Pharisaical garb so that they could fool the innocent bystanders because all of those folks just heard the same three arguments against the Pharisees, and if one of them had showed up in their regal garb, they would know, ooh, sour grapes, look who's all upset. And, but instead, you've got people that look just like them, but they're taking, they're carrying water for the Pharisees. And not only was it the disciples that w- would look like you and I in that setting, if you will, in other words, common folk, they took some Herodians with them. What in the world's a Herodian? A Herodian is someone from the ilk of Herod and Herod's family who were not liked by the Jews, specifically by the Pharisees. And so all of this was a part of the ruse to make it look like it's a groundswell, if you will, a grassroots approach. This, you know, Pay no attention to the fellow behind the sheet, (laughs) you know? And that's what they're trying to do to Jesus. And to trick him, watch this, if he says, man, yeah, I'm for that poll tax. What's a poll tax? It is a tax from the commoner, well, all the people in Jew, in the, I'm sorry, in Israel, and it is so that the Romans can occupy your territory. You can see how, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Well, you're going to get in trouble if you don't do it. But the poll tax was so that the Romans could continue to build roads through your property so that you could have the amenities of Rome. They take you over, and then they try to pull you up to their level of civilization. Sounds good, but most free people, just let me take care of myself. Amen, church? Amen. With that said, if Jesus says, absolutely, I think the poll tax is good, all of those Jews that were saying Hosanna earlier, they're going to go, sorry, I'm out. But if he says, I ain't giving nothing to Caesar. Hey, Rome, look at here. So as far as they're concerned, they've got him. He's going to give an answer. And so if he goes with the Jews, Rome's going to get him. If he goes with Rome, the Jews are going to give up on him, and then we can arrest him and get rid of him. Well, Jesus kind of ruined that. 
What was the brilliance of his answer? The brilliance of his answer was that he told them the absolute truth. Church, you are expected to pay taxes. You like your chief of police? There's only one way to have him, taxes. You like your moderately potholed rows? <laughs> roads? Taxes is the only way to get them. If we didn't have taxes, we wouldn't have the asphalt that we have. We'd, remember, in 1987, most roads outside of the 30 and 47 were gravel. 2023, they're all paved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I walked on this gravel parking lot in 1987. Praise God for taxes. Praise God for tithes. I know it sounds like blasphemy to say that, but the reality is it is a needed. If you're a civilized society, you're going to have taxes. Now, do I think that all of the taxes that we have are just? Yeah, I think you know the answer to that question. But my point is, is that Jesus made it very clear. You see the inscription on that penny? It's Caesar. Given to Caesar, what is Caesar's? But hey, scribes and Pharisees, given to God, what is God's? And they were stealing from God. He had already made that very clear. And, and he's talking to his followers that you need to give back to God as he's given to you. So round number one, obviously, goes to Jesus. Round number two. Now we're looking uh, at, well... I have the scripture in my iPad. I don't have it listed. I'm assuming it's the next one in Matthew uh, 21 here. Uh, I apologize for that. So we were at Matthew 22, 15 through 44. The second question, a question about the hereafter. What are they trying to trick him on? What was the brilliance of his question? The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. That's important to understand. And asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Isn't this funny? I hate hypothetical questions. And in Jesus' day, they were still doing hypothetical questions. This would never happen. But yet, they're posing this question to Jesus. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? If you haven't hung with this, they're simply saying that all seven brothers, the first one marries a woman, the rest of them have not married and so when he dies, the Jewish law was the second brother could take and bring seed, meaning birth a child, in his name. And so the second brother died. The third brother took the wife. The third brother died. The fourth wife took, fourth husband took the wife. You see where we're going with that. So Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, he's, he's fixing to pile drive them. 
Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Now, again, DVD in heaven, but I'm kind of thinking that when the Pharisees got together, they couldn't help at first go, <laughs> that was pretty cool to see that, because they couldn't stand the Sadducees. Couldn't stand them. But they were hoping, because they hated Jesus more, they were hoping that the Sadducees could again get him in a situation. You see, they knew. The Sadducees were a very small sect. And if Jesus would, you know, get tripped here in this he would alienate himself again with the Jews. The Sadducees, who, who, I really don't understand. I haven't found a good explanation as to why they didn't believe that the resurrection was real. But Jesus took their hypothetical and made it very clear. Uh, you're using a hypothetical that doesn't fit. Have you not studied Scripture? And, and watch this, folks. Wow. Wow. Jesus asking a Sadducee or a Pharisee, have you not studied Scripture? That's all they did. That's all they did. And he says, the God of Abraham, who, by the way, has been deceased for hundreds of years, the God of Isaac, who, by the way, has been deceased for hundreds of years, the God of Jacob, who, by the way, has been deceased for hundreds of years, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And he absolutely puts them on their back the brilliance of his answer. Number three. See, and no, I don't have you a verse for this either. I'm assuming this is all in the same passage. I apologize. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first commandment and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. We know this as the core principle. Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, we've been taking an approach here, a question about allegiance to God. What was the lawyer trying to trick him on? The lawyer was trying to get him to basically speak against Moses. They had elevated Moses to a place of unholiness. Moses was higher than the Trinity as far as the Israelis were concerned. It was God and Moses. But since Moses' Ten Commandments, get this, some scribe or Pharisee or Sadducee thought it would be cool to count the letters in the Ten Commandments. They came up with a number. I think it was 200 and something. No, no, it, I'm sorry. It was 600 and something. And with those, watch this, with every letter, they came up with a law to live by. 200 and something of them were positive. The others were negative. And if you kept all 600 and something, you were going to heaven. And they had been arguing about, it was kind of sort of their thing. They would get together. What about number 342? And they would start talking about it. And they would talk about the rabbinical 
minutiae that these scribes and Pharisees had added to the Ten Commandments since they were given. And if anybody spoke against any of them, it was considered against Moses. And so they believed that, for one, they did not believe he was the Messiah, and they believed that he probably didn't agree with Moses on everything. And again, if he would say something against Moses, all of the Jews would say, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't go there. Well, so what does he say? <laughs> he takes the very words of Moses. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Now, I want, you to, I want you to catch me on this. We've talked about this before, but it's been 25 years, so who knows when I talked about it. <laughs> he, he's quoting the Shema. What's the Shema? The Shema is the Hebrew prayer that they pray twice a day. As he starts saying, Hear, O Israel. That's what Shema means, hear. The Lord, they start, they start saying it with him. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart. They know it. They pray it twice a day. And they're all sitting there doing this. They wanted them to be doing this. They wanted them to be, oh, I don't know. But no, they're sitting there quoting with Jesus the Shema. I mean, they're having a worship service. And, and that lawyer's going, oh my gosh, I thought I had him. No, you weren't even close. But watch this. He's telling them something that they were not doing. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. He was telling them, you're fighting me on every, you know, every turn. You're the very ones. You're the religious leaders. You're the ones that people are looking to. You should be backing me up. And I'm fighting you on every turn. And love thy neighbor as thyself. As Dr. Hooks has brought out so eloquently in his book, you're never more like God than when you're loving other people. That's good stuff, isn't it? All right, round number four. So I think we got time. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, so it's Jesus' turn. The intellectual is fixing to take them to task. Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He said unto them, how then doth David in spirit... That's key. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day ask him any more questions. They had another meeting and said, Okay, we're done. Because <laughs> we, we, we bled out today. <laughs> Sadducees, you failed us. Lawyer, you stunk. <laughs> we, we didn't get anything accomplished. If anything, we have set Jesus even deeper into the minds of these Israelis. Amen. So what was he saying? What was the brilliance of, and, and I'm going to be straight up honest with you, I'm, I'm still soaking in this hot tub of a theology, but Jesus was trying to explain to them, David is a man. The Messiah is all man and all God. David, by the Spirit of God, said to God, I'm sorry, 
heard from God saying to David's Lord, sit here at my right hand. So you got the Trinity involved. Through the Spirit of God, David says, I heard my Lord say unto the Lord, sit here at the right hand throne. I'll make your enemies a footstool. Now, I think this is so cool. And, and I mean, it's not really cool, I'm sure, if you are the enemy. But this was a common practice when you would destroy another nation or army. The, if he wasn't killed in battle, the uh, general or king would be brought to the victorious king. He would get on his knees, lay his head on the floor, and the king would use his neck as a footstool. It was embarrassing, it was humiliating, but it was also symbolic. Nobody's going to do that unless they've given up. Maybe for the sake of his people, if you'll not destroy the people that are left, I, I will become a footstool for you. Maybe he's just beaten into submission. He's seen his family killed in front of his eyes. Who knows? I, I hope I never go through that to know what that experience is like, but they would literally do that, and that's what God is referring to. Speaking to Jesus Christ, I will make your enemies a footstool. And David said that about Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, if David, who is a man, would say that about his Lord, can he really be his son? No. And so, yes, he's the son of David in the lineage. He can trace his lineage back to David, but he's God's son, first and foremost. Amen. And that's the brilliance of the intellectual argument to what Jesus was facing. And the you know, who knows if they got honest with Jesus, but I'm sure in their hearts and minds they're thinking, you know we're not going to admit that because they rejected him. They absolutely rejected him. Our world is rejecting Jesus Christ as the Savior of their soul. Now watch this. As you and I soak in the Word of God, as you and I get closer and closer to Jesus, we're going to come up with some good arguments to help our friends, neighbors, and relatives realize that they need to... Because we've all done that if we're saved. We have all submitted in humility ourselves to Jesus. We've surrendered. I'm yours. You're mine. You've bought me with a price. And we've hopefully excitedly surrendered ourselves to God. And as we get closer and closer, we're going to become better and better at helping other people know how to follow Jesus. Let's stand. Musicians, will you come? Tom Nays can give you more detail in private if, if he feels led to, but to say that he needs your prayer about his work would be an understatement. And so I'm just asking you to make that a matter of prayer this week. I'm asking you to continue to pray for Brother Quillman, uh, having some wonderful things happen on the field. Please continue to pray for Brother Quillman. Um, and then, of course, Tony. Uh, at the end of our service, I'm going to have Tony come up. We'll just end our service up here and pray over him. 
for safety uh, and for just a wonderful time in ministry and the such. Uh, we're going to have a verse or two of just an opportunity. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is an invitation. Uh, if you want to turn this into an old-fashioned altar, whatever the case may be, obviously we're asking you to pray for Dawn to have another full week of no lung popping uh, and the such. Uh, we're asking you to pray for Brother Brad. He's got something, uh, but uh, he's getting better, and we praise God for that. Uh, so let's, uh, let's take this time.